You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit theheightsdenver.com. All right, let's give it up for Victoria. I love that. Uh, Man, that's the bullseye. That's the bullseye of this teaching series. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given spiritual gifts to advance the purposes of God in the world. And that's what we're talking about for these few weeks of Advent. Uh, Before we dive in and look at the next set of gifts, uh, just picking up from last week, I got one thing I want to put on your radar. Uh, Twice a year, we do something called Invite the City. That's what all of these door hangers are about right here on the stage. That's what you're going to have to, we're literally going to make you avoid them as you walk out today. Uh, And twice a year, we uh, give you about 50 door hangers so that you can invite the 50 closest homes to your house uh, to come and celebrate Christmas Eve with us. That's what Invite the City is about. And here's kind of the conviction, the theological conviction behind this. Man, we want everybody that calls the Heights home to take spiritual responsibility for the block they live on. That's what it's about. Uh, That if you think about it, We say this all the time. God has saved you not to just make you religious and bring you here to sing songs and listen to Bible teaching, but God has saved you to send you on mission to share the love and joy and hope of Jesus Christ. And there's no better time to do that than the Christmas season. And so here's your job. Here's your job. I want to make it really plain. Your job is, number one, to grab one stack of 50 of these before you leave this room today. If I see you leave and not grab this stack, I'm going to go, hey, is it your first time? And if you say yes, like, okay, okay, you're off the hook. Uh, if I see you leave and, and you didn't grab a stack and I go, hey, is it your first time? And you say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go forcefully. Here you go. Because we're taking spiritual responsibility for the block that we live on. You think about this. This is wild. Uh, God, of all the places you could live, you live in the home or the apartment that you live in. And uh, there are people around you that are geographically close to you, but spiritually far from God. And God has placed you there to open a door to the kingdom of God. Now, and we want to resource you to do this. Really simple. Uh, Take a stack of 50. This will take you 30, 45 minutes this week. Uh, My wife and my sister were baking cookies to make little things, uh, little like gift packs for our neighbors. So we're going to put a little like gift pack with it, trying to be good neighbors, you know, give some good, they're called monster cookies. They're really good. Uh, And uh, we're going to hang these in our neighborhood, 50 closest homes. And we want you to do the same thing. Really important. We're not asking you to knock on the door and like give a whole gospel presentation. You don't have to know very much about Jesus to do this. We're asking you to hang and run, okay? Hang and run, baby. Just hang and run. Uh, and uh, I'll talk about hanging and running here uh, when I talk about the gift of evangelism here in just a little bit. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's invite the city, man. That's invite the city. Every person participates, okay? Every partic- person participates. And whenever I say every person, if you're a couple, you're taking 100, Okay, we have 20,000 of these things and we don't want to waste our money. So let's get after it. Let's get after it. Let's get after it. Okay, so that's uh, right up here. If you're in the front, they're, they're, they're up here. You can see the end of the service. Uh, if you're in the back, uh, they're on tables and you're literally going to have to skirt by them. I said, put them in the way of the, of the stairwells. They said, that's a fire hazard. I said, let's make it a fire hazard. Okay, that's, a, that's what we're doing. So uh, anyways, um, okay, so let me pray for us. Let me pray for Invite the City. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and we will dive into our Bible teaching. Uh, Lord Jesus. Man, we love you. Uh, Thank you for the gospel, that we are not saved by what we do, by being religious, by doing good things, but we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the great gift 
that we celebrate during the Advent season. And we, wanna, we not only want to celebrate that, but we want to get the good news out there into our city uh, for people that are close to us but far from God. And so, God, I just pray for Invite the City. Man, I pray that we would give out 20,000 door hangers and that uh, as people come to our Christmas Eve services, light candles, hear the good news of Jesus, that you would stir something, that people would come to faith, and the good news of Jesus would go forward in our city that we love so much. Uh, and now, as we open up the Bible together, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, we want to be a church that takes your word seriously. We want to be a church that hears the word, trusts the word, and obeys the word, very simply. Uh, and so come, Holy Spirit, and speak. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are in week three of our Advent series called The Gifts, and we're calling it The Gifts because it's a little bit Christmassy, but we're also calling it The Gifts because we're talking about the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And essentially, we're spending these four Sundays of Advent studying half a verse, half a verse, okay? Uh, and uh, we take the Bible seriously around here, man. We want to, I just pray this, we want to hear the word, trust the word, and obey the word. That's all we want to do. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul gives this command right here, and we're just studying this command, everything that it means, and learning to obey it together. He says this, pursue love, and these three words, really we're studying three words, desire, spiritual gifts. So here's the point. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given spiritual gifts that you are intended to desire, discover, and deploy for the purposes of God in the world and the good of the people around you. And listen, what my hope is over these next few weeks is to kind of give you an appetite for the gifts so that you can desire them and understand what they are and how you can walk into them. And so we have a big goal uh, over these few weeks, very simple goal. And the, the goal is that you, that every person that calls the Heights home would be able to answer two Honestly, fundamental questions that every follower of Jesus should be able to answer. There are these two questions right here. Number one, what are my gifts? What are my gifts? Or you can think about it like this, like what is my gift set? And what you're going to discover is that you don't have all the gifts, and that's good news. You are a limited person with limited gifting. I'm sorry. So am I. So am I. Uh, but you have a few. You have two, three, maybe four gifts that you're called to identify and discover and develop and deploy for the good of people around you. So what are those? And then number two is this, how can I use them to serve the people around me? So these, this is what we're, this is our aim, that you would be able to very simply answer these questions. And honestly, it's been fun for me just to let you into uh, to, to my journey, for me to journey in this with you. And this last week, I was I was putting lists of the gifts in my prayer journal, and I was circling some and trying to figure out what mine are so that I can walk in them in more confidence. So a little bit of a review, and then we're going to dive in, and we're going to do a very similar thing we did uh, to last week and just walk through a few of the gifts. Uh, in the New Testament, there are about 19 gifts named, uh, depending on how you combine them, uh, in six different passages of Scripture. And we're talking about the gifts like this. We're dividing them up into three kinds of gifts, serving gifts, speaking gifts, and sign gifts. Serving gifts, speaking gifts, and sign gifts. So if you were here last week, uh, we talked through the serving gifts, and this week we are going to talk through the speaking gifts, this list right here in the middle, and then next week we will do the sign gifts. And we're just trying to get really, really, really practical and go, what are they? How do I know if I have the gift? If you were here last week, it's going to look very uh, similar this week. Now, as we look at this big list, uh, this list can be overwhelming. That's a that's a lot of info on a slide. You know, say you're like, well, and the question becomes, man, how do I know what gifts are mine? And how do I know, we're talking about limitations, it's like, how do I know what gifts are not mine that belong to other people that I don't really need to worry about? Because here's what you'll find. The best people 
the best leaders focus on their strengths, not their weaknesses. And so what I want to encourage you to do, I, I just want to say this, you do not have all of these and neither do I. That's why we are the body of Christ made up of different parts, but you have a few, focus on the few, focus on the few. And so the question is, man, like, how do I know my few? And we've been using this next slide here as a, as a bit of a grid or a paradigm for how to understand what my gifts are and what my gifts aren't. And we've said that your gift set uh, sets at the, sits at the intersection of three things. Uh, affinity, what are you drawn to? What are you passionate about? So you can just write that question down and listen to everything I'm going to say in light of that. What am I drawn to? What am I passionate about? Ability, what am I just kind of naturally good at? And then affirmation, what other people see in me. And so we're looking at those three things. And your gift set sits at the intersection of affinity, ability, and affirmation. So today we have the speaking gifts, and we've got seven of them again, just like last week. And so we're going to dive right in because I want to have enough time to get to all of them. And this is, just to, just to be clear, like this is going to be a little bit teachy, not a lot of like excitement stuff, but I just want to be really practical for you today. So gift number one is this, uh, of the speaking gifts, the gift of apostleship, apostleship. Now, this is a fancy religious word. Here, here's how you can think about it. If you like to take risks, you might have the gift of apostleship. If your idea of a good time is jumping out of an airplane or doing a backflip, doing backflips on a, on a pair of skis, you might have the gift of apostleship. If you don't like to take risks, if you if you, before there were like the annoying, uh, if, you, if you were the person that put your seatbelt on before there was like the annoying like beeping thing in all of our cars, you know, you don't have the gift of apostleship. If you like to play it safe, you don't have the gift of apostleship. If you will spend your Sunday afternoon meal prepping for the week, you do not have the gift of apostleship, okay? <laughs> Apostles fly by the seat of their pants. Apostles ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's how you can understand the gift of apostleship. Now, there's one important thing for me to say about, uh, about the word apostleship really quickly before I define it for you, and that is this, that there's a difference between the office of apostle and the gift of apostle. There's a difference between the office of apostle and the gift of apostle. The office of apostle uh, is, is, refers to the 12 men that Jesus chose that he gave special divine authority to, to bear witness to his life, death, and resurrection. There's 12 disciples, and then write most of the New Testament and lead in the, in the advancement of the early church. That's the office of apostle. But even though the office of apostle is closed, the gift of apostle still exists. And so here's how we can think about the gift of apostle. It's the ability to pioneer new work and build new things for the kingdom of God. That's what the uh, gift of apostleship is. Uh, it's, to, it's to build businesses for the purposes of God, to build nonprofits, to do missions, to do venture capital. By the way, if you're, I, I, I wrote this in the margins, but if you're in here and you like investment stuff, man, check out, check out the firm Sovereign's Capital, and you'll get a good vision for what it looks like to do venture capital with the gift of apostleship. Beautiful stuff. It's training pastors, planting churches, convening conferences, building ministry platforms, leading leaders. That's the gift of apostleship. The, the word apostle simply means sent one. That's what it means. You are sent to pioneer new work that most people cannot pioneer. Now, I'll show you each of these in the ministry of Jesus, but Jesus, one of the fascinating things about Jesus is that he was the first apostle. And not many people think about Jesus as an apostle, but Hebrews 3.1 calls Jesus an apostle. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, the apostle. Interesting. 
and high priest of our confession. So Jesus, here's what that means, is the founder. He's the pioneer of the kingdom of God, the pioneer of the church. He's the cornerstone, the leader. He's the senior pastor over all other pastors. Uh, He started the church, and then what does he do? He appoints the 12 apostles to expand the church. And in that, you see the gift of apostleship. It's all about pioneering work, pioneering new work. And a lot of people can't do that. And if you can do that, that's a, that's a gift from heaven. Uh, some core identifiers, some questions you can ask. And we're going to follow the same pattern, by the way, if you weren't here the last week. Some core identifiers that uh, questions you can ask to go, no, man, do I have the gift of apostleship? Do you feel drawn to starting new things? It's like, does that excite you? If you, if you read that question and you go, no, that terrifies me. That's okay. You have other gifts, right? So do you feel drawn to start new things? Do you constantly have ideas and dreams about what could be and should be? And, you know, if you're uh, on the strengths finder assessment, maybe you're futuristic. That's, a, that's an apostolic uh, sign. Do you feel drawn to pioneering work in the business world, nonprofit sector, or the church? Now, with each of these, just like last week, I'm going to name a shadow side. Where, like, if you have this gift, I want to name something that you probably need to watch out for. And if you have the gift of apostleship, you need to, your shadow side will be something like flakiness. Apostles can pioneer new work, but they can also be flaky. And so, if you have the gift of apostleship, you need to think stay, staying power and endurance. Staying power and endurance. You see, apostles can have the tendency to be all over the place and to want to jump from thing to thing instead of starting something and staying. And if you do that, you will likely never build anything great. You know, So that's the shadow side. Right, here's, a, here, here's an example of the gift of apostleship. One of the best places to look to see the gift of apostleship is uh, the ministry of a man named James O. Frazier. Uh, uh, last year, I spent some time with a pastor in New York City uh, who, man, I love, I have so much respect for. And I just asked him, I said, man, he, I said, man, can you give me like the top five biographies that stir your faith to like keep going and following Jesus and keep starting new things? And this, this guy has the gift of apostleship. He goes, man, there's one. He gave me five, but he goes, there's one that's above all of the others. And it's a biography called Mountain Rain about a guy named James O. Frazier. Just a beautiful story of the gift of apostleship. James O. Frazier was a, uh, was a, he was 20 years old and he was converted while he was in college in Great Britain. And uh, he moved to the mountains of Western China. Didn't know the language. This was in the early 1900s. So it's like he just said goodbye to everyone and everything. Didn't know the language of the tribes of Western China. Goes into Western China over decades, learns the language, writes the New Testament in the languages, not even kidding. And by the time he's done, like 30 years later, revival is breaking out and all of these tribes in Western China are being converted to King Jesus. It's like, that's the gift of apostleship. So if you're like, man, I feel drawn to the gift of apostleship, I think that might be, be, be me. Go read Mountain Rain, the biography uh, about James O. Frazier. Beautiful story of the gift of, like, gift of apostleship and just a beautiful story of, here's, here's the word I would use, apostolic grit. <laughs> like, the story talks so much about these valleys of depression that he goes through as an apostle. These valleys where he's like, man, I just want to quit and give up, which is part of apostolic work. And he, and he pioneers the work, he stays with the work, and revival breaks out. That's the gift of apostleship, James O. Frazier. Second, we'll just keep rolling through these. Second is the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching. If you have the ability to take complicated subject matter and make it clear, simple, compelling in a way that 
lets people act on it, you probably have the gift of teaching. If you have the unique ability to take simple things and make them complicated, <laughs> you do not have the gift of teaching, okay? You do not have the gift of teaching. You might think you have the gift of teaching. You do not have the gift of teaching. Here's how we'll define the gift of teaching right here. It's the ability to understand and communicate truth in a clear and relevant manner so that there is understanding and application. This is the nerd gift. This is the nerd gift. If, if you're a nerd, you might like to, uh, you might have the gift of teaching. If you like to study and understand things and you get really excited to understand things and share them, you probably have the gift of teaching. I mean, guys, I just have to be honest. Uh, you probably know this, but this is me. This is me. And here's how I know it's me. Not only because of what I'm doing right now, uh, but also because like late at night, I will be sitting on the couch with my wife and uh, I'll be reading something, and you're going to think that I'm reading, like, systematic theology. That is not what I'm reading late at night, okay? Not what I'm reading. I'll be reading about anything. The two top Gs in my life, grills and golf. I'll probably be reading about one of those things. Uh, I'm firmly in, like, mid-30s dad, dad land, okay? Grills and golf. And it's like, I, I'll learn something, and then I'll say this. I'll turn to Ali, I'll be like, babe, you have to know this. It's like, I can't help but share the things that I'm learning. That's the gift of teaching. It's not only like, it's not only, it's not only like learning things, but it's wanting to tell other people things and share the things that you're learning. You know, this is Jesus in his ministry. Uh, Jesus's disciples called him rabbi, which simply means teacher. Jesus was the teacher. Teaching was a massive part of his ministry. And Jesus is the one who takes the complicated realities of life in God's world and teaches us how to live. And you think of Jesus, what made Jesus a master teacher, think of his parables. A kid can understand them, yet they contain mind-blowing truth. Jesus would teach the crowds, he would teach his disciples. Teaching truth is a central part of his ministry. So here's some core identifiers uh, that you might have the gift of teaching that you need to fan into flame. We'll go to the next slide here. Do you like studying and researching? Before you can be a teacher, you have to be a student. You have to love to study and research things. Uh, can you, if, you, if you find yourself, you're like, I hate to read. That's fine. Not everybody has. Sometimes in the church today in 2023, we can make it sound like you have to love to read to be a disciple. You don't. And that's fine. But it's like if you don't love to read and research and study, you probably don't have the gift of teaching, and that's okay. Can you understand complicated things and make them simple for other people? Uh, and then three, do people come to you for insight? You go, hey, I'm trying to understand this. Will you help me understand this? And a lot of times the way you know you're gifting is by what other people are asking of you, okay? That's big, that's big, by what other people are asking of you. So shadow side, two shadow sides I would name for the gift of teaching. Idealism and impatience. Idealism and impatience. So let me give you a word on each of those. First, if you're a teacher, you, re you live in the realm of ideas. And if you live in the realm of ideas, you can become idealistic, where you get disconnected from real people living real life in the real world. Because you're just like idealistic and you're living up here in la-la theology land, for example. And people are like listening to you and you're like, look, dude, I'm fighting with my wife, <laughs> you know? And you've got to be able to come back into the real world. So uh, idealism. The second is impatience. If you have the gift of teaching, you can probably, God's given you a brain where you can quickly take in information, even if it's complicated, and understand it. And that's not true for everybody. And so if you have the gift of teaching, don't watch for impatience. Don't become impatient when people are having a hard time understanding things. Don't do that. Be, be patient with them. Um, man, if you want to see the gift of teaching, you can jump into your time machine, 
Go all the way to the continent of Africa, go to North Africa to the 400s, and find out about St. Augustine. Man, St. Augustine is the teacher of teachers in the history of the Christian church. He is the teacher extraordinaire to the point that my girls go to a school called St. Augustine. You know, this is why schools are, schools are named after him. But St. Augustine was the bishop of, uh, of Hippo, which is a church, uh, an area in North Africa. And uh, man, but he didn't start there. Uh, he wrote a book called The Confessions. Anybody read The Confessions? Maybe you read it in high school. Yeah, a few people have, have read Confessions, maybe in college. Very famous work of literature uh, uh, that people read, even, even at the non-Christian church. But what you find in Confessions is that Augustine did not start as a pastor. He started loving sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He really did. If you read, I mean, it is not a boring story to read Confessions. It really is not. But God meets him in his early, I think in his early 20s, maybe late teens, God meets him uh, changes his heart, he follows Jesus, radically changes his life, has the gift of teaching to the point that he explains like salvation more clearly than anybody had ever explained it in the history of the church uh, thus far. Uh, he writes a tome called The City of God, and there's stuff on like the church and the state in the city of God, one of the first people talking about church state stuff. I mean, it is, he is a teacher extraordinaire. So if you think you have the gift of teaching, go read about um, St. Augustine. He just had this unique ability to take the concepts of Scripture and lay them out clearly in a compelling way so that it changed the church. Uh, that's the gift of teaching. Third is the gift of evangelism. The gift of evangelism. Uh, if your heart breaks over people that are close to you but far from God, you probably have the gift of evangelism. So I'll give you an example of how this works. We're doing, you know, I, I told you I was going to talk about this with the gift of evangelism, but we're doing uh, Invite the City. Uh, if you're one of those people that are like, man, you know, you hear about Invite the City and you're like, I'm in. You, t you said to do 50, I'm going to do 500. You might have the gift of evangelism. But also if you said, man, why are we hanging and running? I feel like we should be knocking and talking you probably have the gift of evangelism, and you are more than welcome to do that. Not everybody has to do that. You are more than welcome. Here, but here's the other side of that. If you're a person who's going to go hang these, and like you're going to hang it on the door and run off the porch so quickly because you feel like you're going to get caught doing something wrong, you probably don't have the gift of evangelism, okay? And that's okay, but you're still going to hang them. You're still going to hang them. Uh, Here's, here's the thing about evangelism. Uh, evangelism fits in a category, and you'll see that this is a different gift than the gift of teaching. Now, this is a good kind of like comparison. Uh, evangelism fits in the category that we talked about last week, where we talked about how some of the gifts are both expected and empowered, right? Because at a base level, evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with people that are close to us but far from God, is expected of every follower of Jesus. It is. But also at the same time, so this is why all of us are going to hang door hangers, right? Okay. But at another level, somebody said right down here, thank you. But at another level, some of us, and you need to know this, some of you are empowered in a unique way to carry the good news of Jesus to people that are close to you but far from God in a way that others of us are not. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about gifts. So we'll define it, uh, define it like this. The gift of evangelism is, is this. Let's go to the next slide here. It's the ability to boldly and clearly communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ so that non-Christians become Christians. That's it. That's what the gift of evangelism is. Uh, we obviously see Jesus doing this everywhere he goes. Jesus is constantly moving away from religious people. Think about this. He's constantly moving away from religious people and toward non-religious people, people that are far from God. This is one of the 
defining factors of Jesus' ministry, that he's not in a holy huddle all the time. And this is a good lesson for the church, because what can happen in the church is like, we can just get in our holy huddle, we've got friends now, we've got our community group, I'm good. But Jesus is going, no, 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 we've got to move outside of the holy huddle, outside of this huddle of the 12, and we've got to pursue people that are far from God. Jesus, Jesus was so serious about this, but do, do you know this? He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out with people that were wasted. Like it says this uh, in Matthew 11, verse 19, it says, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard. This is what they said about Jesus. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was constantly going, man, I don't want to hang out with Christians all the time. Now, of course, they didn't have that language then. Because I want to hang out with people who need grace. I want to take the grace of God to people. And that's the gift of evangelism. Here's some core identifiers for you. If, you, if you're like, man, I think I might have that. Here's some questions you could ask. Does your heart break over people that are close to you but far from God? Emotionally, like, do you feel this? Where you're like, I have to tell them about the love of God. That's the gift of evangelism. Uh, do you enjoy being with non-Christians? That's really good. Do you enjoy being with non-Christians? Uh, and do you find it easy to talk about Jesus so that people come to faith? That's the gift of evangelism. Now, a couple of things I would say whenever it comes to the shadow side of the gift of evangelism, a couple of things that you need to watch out for. Um, and uh, first I would say, you can love people outside the church so much that you forget to love people inside the church. And this is big. Uh, you, you can become a person who's so outside the church that actually you get won over by the non-Christians. <laughs> that's, that's a danger of the gift of evangelism. Because Jesus would go to the people that were far from God, but he would retreat back into his 12 with the disciples. And you, you need Christian community around you. The second thing I would say is that, and this is true of all of the gifts, but I think it's especially true of evangelism, that you can imp impose your gift as the standard on everyone. You can go, man, like, why isn't everybody as passionate as me about people that are far from God? And if you were really serious about God, you would feel as passionate. This is true of all of the guests. I think it's especially true of the evangelist. That if you really knew Jesus and you were really serious about your faith, you would look more like me. And if, you're the gift, if you have the gift of evangelism, you need to be aware of that. And you need to go, hey, like, not everybody has your gift. We're talking about limitations. Everybody has two, three, maybe four, not all of them. And you're an important part of the body, but you're not all there is to the body. Now, um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you an example. This example isn't uh, from church history. It's, uh, it's from a friend of mine, but I think it's the best example that I could, that I could give you. I have a friend uh, who pastors a, he, honestly, he pastors a really large church in Boston. And uh, he's one of my favorite friends. Uh, he, uh, he's, here's how I would describe him. I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't want you to really know who it is. But, uh, but, but here's how I would describe him. He's the most non-pastor pastor I know. Uh, in fact, he's such a non-pastor pastor. Last time I was with him, he was like, dude, what do you want to do? We were at a Christian conference, and he goes, what do you want to do? And he, I was like, I don't know. He goes, I know of this speakeasy that nobody knows about. Let's get to it. You can smoke cigars in there and, uh, and drink cocktails. It's awesome. That's the kind of pastor he is. So some of you wonder, I wonder what pastors do when I'm not around. There you go. There you go. Um, you know, it's amazing. In fact, I, I don't like cigars. I didn't smoke a cigar. I don't like cigars actually at all. Uh, uh, if you like cigars, good for you. I hope it relaxes you. Uh, but there's a famous story. Uh, there's, a, there's a famous story about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a, uh, one of the most famous pastors. This is free. This is not in my notes. <laughs> He's one of the most famous pastors in Christian history. The story goes 
that uh, he, he would smoke cigars all the time, but he would specifically smoke cigars on his way to preach because he liked the way it made his voice sound, which I love. <laughs> I love that. I was like, maybe I need to get into cigars on early, early on Sunday mornings. I don't know, man. My wife would hate that. I would also, I hate the, the taste it leaves. Anyways, anyways, anyways. <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. So man, here, here, my friend, here, here's, the, here's the gift of evangelism. My friend, Moves to Boston, not a pastor, not trying to plant a church. He, over, over the first few years he lives in Boston, he's, he's a teacher, actually, at a school. Uh, he systematically leads every single neighbor on his block to faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone. Every single one. And he accidentally, through that, plants a church in Boston. I'm not even kidding. This is a true story that is now thousands of people in multiple locations all over Boston. That's the gift of evangelism. That's the gift of evangelism. If you want a historical figure for the gift of evangelism, you can go look at a guy named George Whitfield and read about uh, the, the, the evangelistic crusades of George Whitfield. Amazing story. Amazing story. Uh, fourth is the gift of shepherding. The gift of shepherding and care. I'm combining these, even though we could talk about them separately. I'll do this again for the last couple. So if evangelists care for people outside the church, shepherds care for people inside the church. If evangelists care for people outside the church, shepherds care for people inside the church. This is also the pastoral gift. Uh, and, you know, you don't, ha- I want to say this, you don't have to have the title of pastor to have this gift. It's very important for me to say. In fact, I have the title of pastor. I don't think these, this is one of my primary gifts. I don't. Uh, this is the gift of care. Um, and, uh, and some of you don't know this yet, but you have the gift of care. And you're going to, like, come alive to it as I describe it here in just a little bit. If, if evangelists get hurting people to the church and to faith in Jesus, people with the gift of shepherding and care disciple them after they get into the church. That's it. Now, uh, we could define it this way. The, it's the ability to protect, guide, counsel, and disciple other people, especially Christians. That's what the gift of shepherding and care is. Uh, obviously, we see this in Jesus. He says this about himself in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. He's a shepherd. He cares for you. He leads you to greener pastures. This is what Jesus does. What Jesus is doing in the Gospels is constantly drawing near people in pain. In fact, people in pain are finding Jesus and going, lead me, care for me. And he goes, okay, come here. Let me take you to the side and let me do that for you. Um, Core identifiers of this ministry. Here's a few questions you could ask. Do you find joy in sitting and listening to people's pains, pressures, and problems? Do you like doing that? That's, that's the gift of care and shepherding. Um, do people pursue you for wise counsel and instruction? And then three, do you love one-on-one meetings for mentoring and discipleship? That's the gift of care. Now, here's a shadow side. Here's a shadow side. If you have the gift of shepherding and care, the shadow side is boundaries. Boundaries. What's going to happen to you, and you need to know this if you have this gift, is that every, everybody is going to feel like you're their friend and you can't be everybody's friend. So, so this is important. I, I think this can be helpful to you, if you have, especially if you have this gift. Uh, I heard a pastor one time talk about, and this has been helpful for me, there's a, different, there's, a difference in relationship between, there's a difference between a personal relationship and a pastoral relationship. And I'm using pastoral not in the sense of like title like me, like I'm using it in the sense of gift of shepherding and care. There's a difference in a personal relationship and a pastoral relationship. And if you have this, you need, if you have this gift, you need to know the difference. Here it is. A personal relationship says, here's my phone number, come over to my house, let's hang, maybe get the families together, let's go ski. That's a personal relationship. A pastoral relationship says, here's my email, 
And some of you are waking up right now to the reality that you have a pastoral relationship with me. That's okay. That's okay. Not all of you, if all of you had my phone number, it would be a disaster. It would be a disaster. But that's, that's, that's a big deal. Because if you have this gift and you have this role in people's lives, you need to know how to set up boundaries because people in need will run through the boundaries you try to set up. Here's my email address. Uh, I want to get together at this time in a different location outside of my home. And that's, that's that you need to make sure you have, you, you have boundaries. Now, don't put boundaries around everybody or you won't have friends. You got to be wise. You got to be discerning with this. Uh, but make sure you have boundaries. Um, give you an example, again, a modern, modern day example, uh, and then I'll give you a historical example. Uh, Allie and I have worked with a woman for years here in Denver named Linda. Her name's not Linda, but you don't need to know her name. Uh, and she's uh, been, she's done therapy for myself and Allie, and Allie and I will sit with her, and we will just kind of like unload our pains and pressures and problems, and Linda <laughs> will help us understand them and understand how to be healthy in the midst of them, and she'll ask us questions that it's like, man, I haven't thought of that and she'll, she'll sit there silently while one of us cries. That's the gift. That's the gift of, uh, of shepherding and care. Uh, if you want a historical example of this, Richard Baxter is the pastor of pastors. Richard Baxter. He wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. If you're not reformed, don't worry about it. Just read it. It's good. Okay, number five, the gift of encouragement. The gift of encouragement. Uh, I'll say this is a public service announcement. If you have the gift of encouragement, you can be my personal friend. <laughs> we can have a personal relationship. Uh, we, we don't have to have a pastoral relationship. Um, man, these people are the best. And if this is you, you need to wake up. You need to wake up to the reality that this is a gift. This is not just your personality. Uh, and that's true of all of the gifts. You are gifted by the Holy Spirit. And some of you have been thinking, this is just my personality. And you need to like have a come alive moment to the Spirit of God in you right now that it's not just your personality, it's the Spirit of God giving you gifts. And I think that's especially true of the gift of encouragement. Some of you think you just have a positive personality. You need to look around and realize not everybody's as positive as you. Not a, and you're like, why, why is that? Well, it's probably because you have the gift of, uh, of, uh, of encouragement. In other places, this is called the gift of exhortation uh, in the New Testament. If you can find the best in a situation, you might have this gift. If you have the unique ability to find the worst in every situation, you do not have this gift. <laughs> you do not. Uh, you probably have the gift of discernment. Okay? And I want to say this again. None of us have all of the gifts. And in fact, the church needs people with both with, needs people with the gift of discernment, but the church also needs people with the gift of encouragement. And these are two sides of the same coin. The church needs both. Uh, and what I find is that, like, I'm just using this as an example. We talked about discernment last week. People with the gift of discernment usually don't like people with the gift of encouragement, and vice versa. But what I want you to see is that the body needs both. The body needs both of these. Here's a definition. Uh, it's the ability to motivate, encourage, and console others so that they mature in their walk with Christ and live into their God-given purposes. So it is. Um, so you can think about the gift of encouragement this way. It's the ability to pour courage into people. Like, like when they're done with you, they're like, I'm ready to live my God-given purpose. You know? That's the gift of encouragement. Uh, some of you, this is a management gift. The best managers in the workplace, this is what Victoria was talking about, have the gift of encouragement. The worst managers only see problems. There's some 
management tips for you for Monday, okay? Jesus, Jesus was a great at encouragement. When we think about Jesus, Philippians 2 says this about Jesus, that there is every encouragement in Christ. Jesus was constantly going to people, encouraging them, exhorting people to live into God's full intentions for, the, for, for their life, into the fullness of flourishing and joy. When his disciples fail, when they don't live up to his standard as a leader, think of Jesus the manager. <laughs> I'm trying to get really practical. When his disciples fail, what does he not do? He does not go, I told you last time not to do that. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He goes, hey, it's okay. God's got bigger purposes for your life. Let's move forward. That, that's the gift of encouragement. Uh, core identifiers. Uh, do people seek you out for advice and encouragement when they're having a hard time? Do you have the ability to see the best in people and draw it out? And do you enjoy walking with people that are having, having a difficult time? Um, shadow side. Shadow side. Here's why I'm doing shadow sides, by the way. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. So every gift has a shadow side, has a counterfeit to it. And the counterfeit, the shadow of encouragement is flattery. It's flattery. Two different, two different things. Encouragers, here's how you can think about it. This is a little cheesy, but here's how you can think about it. Encouragers build up, flatterers butter up. And there's a big difference between the two. And if you have the gift of encouragement, you need to watch this uh, because you can become a brown noser really quick and everybody hates a brown noser. Everybody hates them. So uh, everyone can tell the difference between uh, building up and buttering up. Encouragers build people up for their good, for the other people's good. Uh, flatterers build people up for their personal gain. And that's the difference between the two. So you need to be aware of that. One of the best examples of this uh, is a woman named Katharina von Bora, uh, who is the wife of the great reformer uh, uh, Martin Luther. Uh, this, is a, this is a great story. This is one of my favorite examples of today. Luther, for his whole life, battled bouts of discouragement and depression, a deep, deep bouts of depression, which, by the way, is true of most Christian leaders throughout history. Uh, depression has been, uh, has, been, um, has been there. And this is a beautiful example of spiritual gifts used in marriage, which we talked about last week uh, with the Schaefers, if you remember me talking about the Schaefers from last week. And as painful things in life would come, uh, it, they would send Luther into deep places of darkness and depression. And she, Katharina von Bora, who's his wife, uh, would sustain him through her gift of encouragement. And one of the ways, I love this story, one of the ways her gift of encouragement played out in their marriage uh, was through humor. Uh, she was a very funny woman, apparently. Uh, and uh, there was one time, this is a true story, uh, there was one time where, uh, where Luther is in like, one of these bouts of depression, and uh, he walks into the house, and Von Bora is uh, dressed in all black like she's going to a funeral. Uh, and it, and it, like, star it startles Luther, and he goes, oh my gosh, like, what happened? Who died? And she said this, this is unbelievable, she said, well, if the great Martin Luther is this depressed, I just assumed that God died, so I dressed for his funeral. <laughs> he thought this was funny. I don't know. I, he thought this was really funny. And it, it, the story goes, he, he started laughing. He thought this was hilarious, and it snapped him out of his funk. She was also, she was a nun who, uh, she was a nun who came to faith, left the Catholic Church along with Luther. Luther literally was part of an escape attempt where he, he, uh, he, uh, he helped Von Bora, this is so long, and I've got a minute left, and I've got other gifts, but he helped Von Bora escape in, in barrels. He snuck them out, uh, snuck these nuns out from the Catholic Church in barrels, and she essentially told him, all the other nuns got married. She goes, I can get married now. She essentially went to him and said, you're marrying me. 
you snuck me out. You say we can get married. You're marrying me. That's how they got married. I'm not even joking. She proposed to him, okay? And, uh, and uh, he would write her letters. They had this beautiful partnership. He would write her letters and say things like, I miss you. She brewed beer, too. You needed to know that. Fascinating woman. <laughs> I know. This was one of my favorite examples. He would write letters that said things like this. I miss you. I miss your friendship. I miss your comfort. And I really miss your beer. Uh, and he would say that. So anyways, a uh, fascinating woman. And many historians believe that Martin Luther, the great Luther, would not have made, have not, have, would not have made it and been the leader he was without Katharina's gift of encouragement. I love that. So that's the gift of encouragement. Six is the gift of leadership. We've got two more. Two more. The gift of leadership. If you can rally people toward a goal, you have the gift of leadership. Leadership is all about rallying people to follow you. Here's a definition. It's the ability to have a clear, I think we can get that up there. Let's go to the next slide here. There you go. The ability to have a clear vision and communicate the vision in such a way that it influences other, others to pursue the vision with you. Uh, there's a pastor named E.V. Hill. I love this quote. He says this, the man who says he's a leader and doesn't have people following him is just a fool who's out for a walk. That's all they are. Uh, so you might think you're a leader. That's what he's saying. Um, if you, and if you don't have people following you, you're not a leader. Jesus, we obviously see the gift of leadership in Jesus. Very clear uh, leadership gifting. People gravitated toward him, toward him as he gave the vision of life in the kingdom of God and led people toward it to the point that today literally billions. Think about this. Think of the language we use for, for Jesus. We follow Jesus. Billions of people today are following the leadership of Jesus Christ. So here's some core identifiers. Uh, do you like being the final voice and the one who takes responsibility. Here's a funny way to think about question number one. Um, if you are a leader, whenever you have the dynamic in your family of like the questions raised, where are we going to eat? You are always the one that says, this is what I want. Okay? That's me and my family. Do you know why? Here's my joke. Because I hate ending up at a restaurant I don't want to be at. So I just tell people where I want to eat. Okay? That's true. That's true. So... That's the gift of leadership. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, now, here, here's the thing with number one. Here's the thing, though. If you're going to call the shots, you have to be willing to take the shots. This is big for leadership. I remember in a session uh, with a kind of leadership coach therapist for me, a guy named Chip Dodd. Uh, he was doing coaching with me. He said leadership is this. It's the willingness to be in pain on, other, on, the, on behalf of others for their benefit. That's what leadership is. Leadership is pain. All leadership is pain. And you know that if you're leading something right now. Two, do you find yourself dreaming about the future? And three, do people listen to you? That's a big one. Do people listen to you and take your advice and follow you? Shadow side, two things I would say here. First, the first shadow of leadership is incongruence. Incongruence. And you have to watch, watch this. Here's what I mean by in, in, incongruence. You have to make sure that the public matches the private. That the public you matches the private you. That who you are in private, matches who you are in public. Eugene Peterson, the great leader, writer, uh, uh, pastor, he, he calls that congruence. You've got to have congruence between the public and the private. Uh, the, the second is this, and I kind of alluded to this, don't just desire authority, take responsibility. Don't just desire authority, take responsibility. Leadership is about more than authority. That's the ability or wanting to call the shots. It's taking responsibility for the shots that you call even when the shots are bad. Maybe even especially when the shots that you call are bad. So don't blame your bad shots on the people that follow you. That's bad leadership. 
And that's a, that's a shadow. Uh, example, on August 28, 1963, one of the greatest leaders in Christian history and American history stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and said some of the most famous words in American history. He said, I have a dream that my four children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. I have a dream today. I want to read you more of the speech, but we don't have time. What is leadership other than the ability to cast a vision and at great personal cost take other people there with you? That's what leadership is. That's leadership in a nutshell. And you might have this gift to leverage in your workplace, your community group, or your church. Here's the last one. Number seven, the gift, the gifts of wisdom and or knowledge. We could separate these, uh, but we'll put them together for our purposes today. If you can understand people and to give good advice that leads them to flourishing, you probably have the gift of wisdom or knowledge. If you find yourself giving everyone advice that you don't even follow, you do not have this gift. You do not have this gift. Uh, a, a person with the gift of wisdom is also living a wise life. So you have to, these people are always living the life that everyone kind of wants because they're wise and they've sacrificed for it. Now, these could easily be two different gifts, but I think they also work together. So here's a couple definitions for knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the ability to understand concepts, information, and people. It's the gift of knowledge. And wisdom is the ability to put the knowledge to use in real life in ways that are not always obvious to the average person. So you see how these, how these two gifts work together. Uh, wisdom and knowledge people are coaches, counselors, and consultants. They're very practical people. These are wisdom, knowledge people. Jesus, of course, uh, was wise and had all of the knowledge. Uh, we see this in Jesus' ministry in Luke 2, that even as a boy, he was filled with wisdom so that the teachers would listen to this boy and go, who is this that teaches with authority? He would teach and make in a way that would make scholars' heads spin. That's the gift of wisdom and knowledge. So here's some core identifiers. Do people seek you for wise counsel? Do you have a pattern of wise decision-making in your life? So it's not only the ability to give wisdom, but to live wisely. It's big for the gift of wisdom and knowledge. And does it frustrate you when you see people making foolish decisions? You're like, man, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to manage your money like that. You don't have to run the company like that. You don't have to think about your work like that. Does it frustrate you when you see other people making unwise decisions? Now, here's the shadow side. There's a difference between a coach and a critic. There's a difference between a coach and a critic. Leverage your wisdom to be a coach and a counselor to people, not just a critic of people. And if you have the gift of wisdom and knowledge, you need to know this, the shadow side is criticism. That you're, you get it. You're living wisely. You can read people. And it's like, don't just use that for criticism. Use it to coach them and counsel them into a wise life. The, the final example we'll talk about today is a guy named A.W. Tozer. Uh, many of you have read Tozer's books. One of the most influential uh, writers uh, in Christian history has sold millions of books, preached on the radio, did radio shows, talking about theology. Man, one of the wisest men who has, who has written in the history of Christianity. To the point, if you've read a, a Tozer book, raise your hand. I bet, I, I bet a, lot of, a lot of people even in this room have been influenced by A.W. Tozer. And uh, you know what's wild about Tozer? Zero formal education. Uh, the man, the story goes that the man didn't even graduate high school. He didn't, he didn't graduate high school, didn't go to college, no Bible college, no seminary, no PhD, 
But what he would do, this is, and he said this, what he would do is whenever it came for him to teach the Bible uh, or do a radio show or write a book, he would get on his knees, he would open up his hands, and he would say, God, I need wisdom from heaven. And that was a secret. <laughs> You're like, that's it? That's it? That's all he did. And that right there, A.W. Tozer, is the gift of wisdom and knowledge. Seven gifts. Let's put the chart up here. We'll end right here. Seven gifts. Uh, and these are the speaking gifts. The gifts of apostleship and teaching, evangelism, shepherding, care, encouragement, leadership, wisdom, and knowledge. These are the gifts. And so we're asking two questions. We'll put them back up there as we move into our response time. What are my gifts? Our goal is that everyone will be able to answer these two questions. What are my gifts? And how can I use them to serve the people around me? This is the goal. Let me pray for us, and then Jonathan will lead us in a time of response. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that the greatest gift of Christianity is the gift of salvation through your life, death, and resurrection. But thank you that even after that primary gift that we'll talk about in just a second, we are given these secondary gifts um, to leverage for your purposes in the world. And we remember that the gifts are just the Jesus stuff. It's you. We are the body of Christ. You're wanting to ex extend and expand your work through us. So I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, pour out the gifts on our church so that we can do everything you want us to do. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.